0: Good morning, family. So great to be here with you this morning. From my side to all the moms, thank you for being who you are in your families and the great difference that you make even in our spiritual family as well. Amen. We are still busy in our value series. Uh, Jonathan preached so well last week, just setting everything up uh, and give us, gave us just what a value is. And this morning we are carrying on, and this morning we are talking about lordship. Uh, That is a value for us. And I really do pray this morning that, you know, that you would just open up your heart and just for, uh, you know, for a fresh word about lordship. I remember the very first time that we did uh, lordship in the one-to-one. Philip was, uh, you know, I did one-to-one with him. And I said, Philip, listen, you know, when you do the one-to-one, I know that we've been in church for many years, but I want you to do the one-to-one with me as if I'm a complete sinner. Well, he didn't hold back. Maybe he thought that there was still something to be saved, you know. But that was really a wonderful, you know, the first time that I saw uh, lordship for what it is. I said, Phil, you know, after that uh, meeting, I said, Phil, now, You know, sometimes they say, you know, you get shot through your knees. Well, it wasn't that shot through the knees. It was through the ankles and everything. Because for the first time, I really fully understand if I would say that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I was a Christian for a long, long time. But if Jesus is my Lord, the true impact that it would have in my life. So open up your heart this morning and let the Holy Spirit speak to you and maybe just revalue again What would it mean if Jesus is Lord of our lives? And we're very specifically looking this morning about the preeminence of Christ. Big word. But we'll unpack it this morning, the preeminence of Christ. So if we look at our values, then we say, you know, there's lordship, evangelism, discipleship, leadership, and family. And those are the things that we would value. But the question that we ask this morning is, Why should we put lordship at the beginning of all our values? And before we carry on, let us pray. Lord Jesus, when we say Lord this morning, then it is with a capital L, because you are Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord who is our King. Our Savior, but also our Redeemer. And Lord, this morning we... We want to exalt your name for who you are. And Father, when we, when we think about the throne room and we think about everything that is happening there continuously and the worship that is there to you this morning, Lord, I pray this morning that when we hear this word, that our hearts will join that worship, worship forevermore. That will wake up in the morning, Lord, and it will be worship unto you because, Lord Jesus, you are Lord. And we'll understand it because your word will speak to us today. Holy Spirit, I pray that if there's any barrier in any person's heart to the fact that Jesus is Lord, that you would come and remove that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you this morning... Just before we start, think about something that has got great value to you. Now, you know, as soon as we do that, you know, we go into the hyper-Christian mode and we think, you know, all the Christianese things that is of value. But I don't want you to go there this morning. I want you just to think for a moment. What really has value in your life? Can't say your wife this morning or your husband or your children. Let's go beyond that. What has got great value in your life? What would you say from your side? What has got great value? I'm going to give you just like 30 seconds. Think about that. You can... Your husband and wife are next to you. you Can you can share that secret now? You know, like what has got that great value in your heart? Have you got that thing? Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna revisit again a little bit later. But what has got great or the greatest value in your life, apart from now all the Christianese things? So this morning we're gonna read out of the book of Colossians, and I love the book of Colossians. It's like for me always the You know, like the short book of Hebrews, which is another one of my favorite books. So if you read Hebrews, and then you would know Colossians is there. If you read Colossians, Hebrews is there. So whoever, you know, they say Paul didn't write Hebrews, but most probably it was a few people that that wrote Hebrews together. But somebody that had an insight in Colossians most probably had an insight in Hebrews as well, because those two books just uplift Jesus for who He is. I just love that. So the book of Colossians, of course, written to the, to the um, congregation of Colossians. And it was there, what we know today, in, uh, in Turkey, Asia Minor. And uh, Paul is writing the book uh, to the Colossians, and he's in Rome, most probably in prison. And Epaphras, which we think most likely started the church there in Colossians or Colossians, You know, he is now visiting Paul, and he is giving some feedback on the congregation, what is happening there. But the feedback is not all that very good, you know, so it's not so good. And, you know, Paul is now just a bit concerned, and therefore he's writing now a letter back to this congregation and just asking them and admonishing them about a few things. So if we think about, um, you know, just that you know, the fact that Paul writes to, the, to, to, to Colossians, we can sometimes just remove ourselves and think that this is not for us. Because sometimes we read the Bible like that, you know, this is quite nice, and you know, uh, it's quite an interesting scripture. I wish that other person would have read the scripture as well, and then, you know, he would understand, I don't want you to listen to it that like that this morning. I know it's not written, written to us, it was written to the Congregation in Colossians, or Colossae. But make it your own this morning. So as if the Lord would want to speak to you this morning. If we, if we see that in the book of Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, it says, What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. What is he trying to say to us here? The same difficulty that people battled with we're still battling with. The difficulty, you know, that that congregation battled with, just different circumstances, but it's still the same things that, you know, is happening there as well. So just a bit of background, in uh, that congregation, there were people who were teaching, you know, were teaching false things or things that wasn't of value. Think about today. How many voices do we have or shouting to us today you know, that is not truth or coming from the Word of God. All around us, every single day, you know, we just have all of these voices speak to us and as if it wants to turn our eyes away from the Bible, away from truth all the time. Maybe just that thing that you, that you thought about that is of great value. If that was the most valuable thing and you only had that still left, would that bring you closer to Jesus or not? Just a question. But there are so many voices today speaking to us. And sometimes we think, you know, it is good voices. Netflix and all of that. But what is it, you know, that is really got the voice of your ear today? Colossians 2 verse 18 to 19 says, let no one disqualify you. This is Paul speaking. Assisting on asceticism is a big word. I'll explain to us now. I can't even say that. And worship of angels, going in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his senses, a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourishes and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows. With a with a growth that is from God, so Paul is saying to them, you know, in your congregation, in your you know, the, the, you know, the fellowship that is there, let no one disqualify you. Could there be a disqualification, you know, in our lives? Could it be that something that we do disqualifies us? Disqualifies us from that. Disqualifies us from a from a walk with Jesus. Disqualifies us from. You know, coming to the point where God would want us to be, and where is that point, and what is that point that God would want us to live to? Asceticism, big word. There it is now. So what is that? You know, if we if we look at what, uh, the, what Paul is speaking to us about there, it is you know it is we, we in our own body. Well, you know, we will. Uh, it could either be through fasting, or you know, in those days, you know, cutting. You know, you will cut, uh, like, uh, marks on your body to show that, you know, you are going through a difficult time. Do we still see that today? You know, that for wrong reasons, I will do something to myself just to think that that is going to bring me closer to Jesus. The worshiping of angels. The going on about visions. You know, like, I have got the greatest uh, revelation of all. There are so many people with a great revelation, and if we run after every single person with a great revelation, we will be running into circles all the time, puffed up without reason, you know, it's like my knowledge and my way of life is more important, and everybody must value my way of life. Does it sound familiar? The scripture that we want to get to, want to, get to today is, uh, you know, our main scripture there is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And let us read it together and let us see what the Lord would want to show us today here. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The first thing that we want to look at, you know, Jesus before every single thing. So Paul is on this journey with this congregation. And he's holding two things to them all the time. You know, it is the preeminence of Christ, that who Jesus is, and then all other things. Jesus is either preeminent in our lives and we live our lives like that, or it's all the other things. So, Paul could have written to the Colossians and said to them, Listen, you have to follow Jesus. He is the one to follow. But he didn't do that. He set up a picture of Jesus for who he is, the preeminent Christ. If you want a picture, Look at this, and if you follow Jesus as this, He will be preeminent in every single area of your life. There will be not an area of your life that He is not first or the other side. So it's these two pictures that He's holding onto us. Preeminent, having a paramount rank, dignity or importance, outstanding and supreme, and you know, that old picture that is there, Paul is on this journey, and he's taking them somewhere. As you read through the book of Colossians, you will see the journey that Paul is taking them. But it goes through the preeminence of Christ. Let's look at that scripture again. He says that he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. Now, when we think about just, you know, the time that it was written, the firstborn son was the most important. The firstborn son is the one who will inherit everything. So if, if, if Paul would say to the congregation, Jesus is the firstborn, it means that you know, all rights of the family goes to Him. He is the firstborn. He is the first one of this family that you are belong to. Colossians. As if the older brother. Now there was honor giving to the older brother. There was honor giving to to that person who was firstborn. In the end, you know, he will inherit everything. And if you belong to the to the firstborn, with him you will share in that inheritance. Paul says, He is the firstborn of all creation. (laughs) Now that just blows everything. From the beginning to the end of all creation. In other words, of everything that has been created, will create, it, and will ever be created, Jesus is over that as firstborn. Then He says to us there in verse 16, For, for by Him all things were created. Now, we just want to see how many times that all things through Him and in Him just in these few scriptures, you know, we can see it there. For by him all things were created. So now, if, if, if we, uh, you know, we, we bake a cake, then we add things into this cake. And it's the things that we add, you know, that will eventually make that cake right or not. Now, if Winnie bakes it, of course, it will be right because she adds all the right things to that. Now, here he says, yeah, by him. In other words, you know, it is like Jesus adds everything and everything was created by him. He is the one who creates it. He says there, in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through, through him and for him. Now, when we do the God chapter, you know, it says that you know we we are created by him. And in three times, you know, it says that we are in one verse that we created by God. Now, if I create something, if I make something, if I say make something out of wood, then that thing that I've made belongs belongs to me. I I made it. Say I make a cup out of wood that cup can never say to me, Harry, you didn't make me. It doesn't belong to you. Of course, you know, it can never dispute the fact that it was made by me. So what about our lives? If it says to us here that we, as creation, was, you know, we were created through Him and for Him, then it means that our lives, it doesn't matter how we look at it, you know, the the economy of God and the economy of creation makes us the fact that we are His ownership. We belong to Him. And if you have a conversation with a person you know, who doesn't believe in Jesus, you know, that's most probably the most difficult thing because that is the one thing that a person who doesn't belong to Jesus or doesn't believe in Him, you know, they don't want that. They don't want to give the ownership of their lives to God. That is it. That's the greatest challenge that they sit in their lives with. But sometimes it's not just unbelievers. What part in your life do you still sit with where you think that, Lord, you know, I can give you all things, but this one thing I find it difficult to give to you? Sometimes it's not even something that you own, it's a hurt. What's a feeling? It is a concept, you know, something that you think in your heart. No, I can't give that to the Lord. I have to keep it to myself. All things through Him and for Him. So He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the image of God. He is Creator. And then the third thing, all, in him all things hold together. How good, well, how can I say, you know, how, what is, you know, yeah, how good are you doing with holding your life together? Is there sometimes, you know, some un, uh, like, like, you know, something is frailing out in your life? Because the reality of the matter is that if we want to keep our lives together together all the time, we're going to fail sometimes, most of the times, miserably. But the Bible says to us here that in Him all things hold together. So there's a very important little word there. It says that in Him all things hold together. So what is the opposite of in? Is out, of course. So while I'm still in Him, I know that I don't have to hold all things together because Jesus is holding my life. I'm in Him. But if I'm out of Him, if I'm, if I'm not part of Him, how can I hold, uh, allow Him to hold things together in my life? So the question this morning is, where am I, when I look at the preeminence of Jesus? Have I allowed him to be preeminent of my life, the fact that I am in him and I know it? Or am I still standing outside? If I'm in him, he's holding my life. If not, who's holding your life? Verse 18. And he is the head of the body. Again, he's the firstborn and then the head. Now, any person without a head, (laughs) that's not even, you know, we can't even think that, you know. But, you know, have you lost your head? We sometimes say to a person. Meaning just that, you know, the good sense of thinking. Have you lost that? But Jesus is the head. And in that, everything else holds together. Listen to what he's saying here. He's the head of the body, the church. And if we sit together this morning and we declare that Jesus is the head, that means that Jesus directs us. My grandmother used to say to my grandfather, and he was a you know, very stern man, he says, he says, I'm the head. Then she says, but I'm the neck. I turn it wherever I want. No, it's the other way around. You know, Jesus is still the head, and there's no neck, us that turns Him where we think that He should work in our lives. That doesn't work like that. Jesus is the head of the body, directing every single thing, or should be directing every single thing in our lives. He's the beginning, again, firstborn from the dead. Now Paul takes it a little bit deeper than that. If Jesus is firstborn of the dead, that means that for, for us, Jesus is our Savior He's the one that rose out of the grave. That any other god or can, can any other god claim that? Never ever. Because Jesus rose. So in this church now, with all the deception that is happening there, all the different voices that's there, Paul is asking, all of those voices that you hear, did they raise from the, that they from that you know were they raised from the dead? Not one. Jesus is the first one that rose from the dead. He's the only one of all the choices that you had that rose from the dead. Tell me any other one that has done that. So sometimes, you know, we can have a few ideas about a certain thing in life. And imagine we just take that and we just lay that before the Lord in this way. And say, well, if I think about this and, you know, if it's important for me or it's an argument that I've got, let's lay it at the feet of, yeah, you know, is it above the firstborn? Is it above the creator? Is it above the fact that Jesus is before all things? Yes or no? Let us just quickly evaluate according to that. Then he says to us there, that in everything he might be preeminent. In other words, first. Again, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, if we think about, you know, just the fullness of God, it means that God had a pleasure of saying, you know, Jesus, even though he's perfectly God, he's walking the earth, it is my pleasure, God, that Jesus would be walking amongst us, showing us who God is. Every single person that had, that you know had to come come in contact with Jesus, you know, must have had, must have felt some way a pleasure from who God is, because the fullness of God was there, the wisdom and every single el- everything else was there as Jesus was walking on the earth. Because he says here in verse twenty, and through him to reconcile to him all things to reconcile. That is still to come. So now again we think about every single argument that was there in Colossians, every single argument that is still here with us today. If we read the news and and it says, you know, we must embrace this view of a group of people and we must embrace that view of a group of people, you know, we will be completely confused with all the views that we have to embrace and uplift that is a you know, that is what they said above God, but it's actually under the word of God, that we will be, you know, confused and just uplifting every single thing like that. But he says, in the end, all of those things will still be have to be reconciled under Christ. Reconciled two boys two two things there. Either under the preeminence of Jesus Christ or not on this side here. He says, on earth, making peace by the blood of His cross. In the end, if we think about our lives and the preeminence of Christ, the ownership of our lives was signed, if we can just think about a, a picture there, by the blood of Christ. And there's no other person, there's no other God, there's no other argument that can just stand after the signature of Jesus by the blood of His cross, ownership. So if we say the preeminence of Jesus, that means that our lives belong to Jesus, signed by His blood. Where does that leave us? Jesus is therefore the center of our worship he's the focus and he's our foundation and he should be the, the you know the center of our worship every single day 1 peter 3 verse 15 said to us says to us here but in your hearts honor christ as lord uh, christ the lord as holy niv says set him apart Set Him apart from every, every single other thing that you have in your life. He is the Lord. Lord with a capital L again. He is the King. So when we get saved, we are in a new kingdom. And Jesus is the King of that kingdom. And that in, in that kingdom, Jesus rules as King. Peter says to us, set Him then apart as Lord over your life. And it makes me think about the story of Mary, there in John 12, verse 3 to 6. It says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used to, keep him, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Amazing scripture. So now Mary is there, and she's got this, this ointment. 300 denarii was about the wages for a whole year. Where would Mary get wages for a whole year. I mean, <clears throat> that is not something that you just save up. If we think, think that, you know, in our bank account, I've got one year's whole salary for everything, just saved up there. So for the next year, I don't have to work. There are very few of us, most probably, that will be able to say that. But there she had it, this, this, this spot of ointment. So most probably it belonged to the family. It was the family's. And she took that thing that was of absolute value, not just to her, but to her family. And she broke it and she anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. Meaning the greatest honor, you know, that was her hair. She is wiping Jesus' feet. She didn't pour it over his head, pour it over his feet. Blessed Jesus with that. Then it says, you know, that ointment, the smell of that organ, the fragrance went through the whole house. Everywhere, people could smell it. Mary, giving her everything, and most probably the family's everything, just a, as, a, as a blessing to, go, to Jesus, because he was, that was like a pre-anointment of him being crucified. And there sits Judas Iscariot. Why is she doing this? You know, she could rather just sell it and we take the money, we're giving it to to the poor. But in his heart, of course, the Bible says here, that was not his heart. When we think about the preeminence of Jesus, doesn't that sometimes work like that in our lives as well? There's a bit of a Judas inside of us and a bit of a Mary inside of us. We say in one side, you know, Lord, take everything. And Lord, my life should be like a fragrance that runs Every single way that I go. Wherever I come, Lord, there should be a fragrance of Jesus wherever I go. It should go through the whole house, my whole life. But then on the other hand, there's this little bit of Judas in us as well. Lord, no, not that. We could rather sell that or rather I can keep that for myself. But it is for myself. The Bible says here, Judas was a thief. Where do we steal glory from Jesus? Where is it that we keep away for ourselves? Because that was not for the poor. It was for himself. We cannot steal from the preeminence of Jesus. We cannot come to the place where we say, well, Lord, you know, here I'll give and there I won't. If we think about our tithe, you know, an offering, That is some some place where it's non-negotiable. That's what the Bible says. That is in the economy of God. That That is what it is. But where is it where I keep a little bit for myself to think, well, Lord, all the others, but not this one, Lord. If Jesus is preeminent, He is preeminent over every single thing. How many forgiveness or cases or places are you keeping forgiveness away from people? That you steal a little bit of that what Jesus is telling you to do. Because you see it it runs through every part of my life. If Jesus is preeminent, he's preeminent. He's preeminent in my relationships. If we think about our sin, you know, what little sin am I little sin. There's no little sin. Do I keep from, away from the glory of God? Because of the glory of God, the holiness of God will shine into my life. It means that I open my whole heart and I say, Lord, whatever is in here that is not of you, it should go. It's either Jesus, the two, the two sides that Paul is holding us today, either Jesus absolutely preeminent or There's a little bit of Judas still in us. And God is busy working in our hearts. The third question we have to ask ourselves, why should we say, Jesus, you are preeminent? Because, you know, of all the good arguments, if we can't answer the why, what's the reason that we're doing it? What's the reason that we're sitting here this morning? What is the reason that we say that we are Christians and go out in a life and disciple people? What is that thing that changed us in our hearts that we would say without a doubt, Lord Jesus, you are Lord of my life. That when I wake up in the morning, I can just worship Jesus and I just say, Lord, I am... So thankful that you are Lord of my life. Let's read. Just from verse 9 to, uh, to 11, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray, this is Paul speaking, for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge. In other words, Jesus would want us to have all knowledge of his will, In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So if we know His will, if we know His will, the spiritual wisdom, and He wants to give us understanding, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, walking in a manner means that our every single day life, there's there's nothing excluded, should be worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I say something to a person, if I do something, um, you know, I, I was yesterday at the shooting competition. So, are, you know, we start, every shooting competition, amazing. We start with a prayer here in the morning. Everybody, take your hats off. And now we have to pray. Amen, Head back. And then the language was just like the same as just before. You know, not good language. But we've just prayed. Then we say, guys, you know, you just prayed now. But that is how the world sometimes would want to live. (laughs) What about us? You know, if we say that we are Christians, you know, we sometimes look at the world and then we look at us. We should be worthy, every single thing that we do, worthy unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Think about this picture that Paul is painting to the Colossians. He says, Colossians This is what Jesus would want of your life. This is the one thing, you know, He wants to bless you with everything, you know, the knowledge of Him, pleasing, fruit-bearing for Him. Be strengthened in all power. Whose power? God's power. Which power is that? That's the power that God created all things. According to His glorious might and all endurance and patience and joy. Verse 12. Why Jesus? giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of the saints in the light. The Father has qualified us. How does that qualification come to us? Verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Can we for one moment think, you know, where our lives would be without the Lord Jesus Christ? The domain of darkness. If I don't have Jesus, that's where I am. I'm in the domain of darkness. There are only two kingdoms. That is the economy of God. Two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. You're either captive in the domain of darkness or you set free here for us. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, capital S. So we either kept in a domain or we transferred. Who does the transformation Jesus does the transformation. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. What is that one thing that I say, why Jesus? Why would Jesus have preeminence in my life? Because if I think where I am without him, and I think about my salvation, the forgiveness of my sin, and the place that he set me free, he took me from the domain of darkness, and he brought me into his kingdom just that transfer, Lord Jesus, I am forever thankful. Lord, what is there in my life that that still points to that domain of darkness? Lord, let me deal with that. Let me not have a little bit of a Judas Iscariot here, but Lord, let like Mary, that fragrance, Lord, every single thing, the highest value that I have, Lord, I'll give it to you. There's nothing I'm holding back, Lord. My life belongs to you. You are preeminent in every single thing in my life. If we look at our values, lordship comes first. If Jesus is not Lord of my life, let me say it the other way around, if Jesus is the Lord of my life, my cup will run over through my mouth every single time. I will have a story every single day to tell whoever would want to listen about the goodness and the grace of Jesus in my life. That's evangelism. Nothing big. I just tell people about what Jesus is doing in my life. And as soon as I tell people about this Jesus, of course they would want to know more evangelism than it is discipleship. And how can I leave a person just there where he is but help him to find Jesus more and more? That is, let us help that person to lead others, leadership, also to Jesus. But we all do it together. In a family, but none of this will work if it's not under and through the lordship of Jesus where he is preeminent in our lives. My question to you this morning again, that thing about the greatest value, I want you for one moment now to think, what does Jesus say about the greatest value? I ask you just now, what do you say is the greatest value in your life? But if Jesus would, would say that ask you that question this morning will it change of what you said just now? What would you say Jesus is saying to you this is the greatest value that you have? If it doesn't come to the fact where Jesus you are the fact that you translated me from the domain of darkness into your kingdom, from my sin to the forgiveness of my sin, then we have to look again about what has value. Because if that is the value, then Jesus will be, first and foremost, the king of my life, the crown of Jesus. As Jesus of my king, that crown Was bought by the blood of Jesus. The thorn crown of Jesus. He paid for that. What is there still in your life that is unraveling? That is not together. Because Jesus is still not Lord of your life. And then on what road are you busy deciding to walk? That one that is after the preeminence of Jesus. Or Are you still walking your own road this morning? Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning confronted with your Word, the preeminence of Christ. Lord, I pray this morning that just like Paul wrote there to the Church of Colossae, where our worship is, that is what we will value. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would speak into our hearts about the things that we worship. And Lord, just like Judas, we have to confess, Lord, that there are sometimes things that steal from our worship that we should bring to you. And Lord, we we bring that worship to ourselves through those things that we think is important. But Lord Jesus, this morning we want to pray and ask that we would turn our eyes back to you. Back to the fact that Jesus is our Lord. That Jesus is preeminent over every single thing of our lives. And Lord, this morning we want to, just from our hearts, just break forth and worship. And say thank you, Jesus, that we can worship you for who you are. You are our Lord. You are our King. You are our salvation. Lord, you are our Redeemer. And because of that, Lord, we live our lives for you. Fully convinced of that fact, that Jesus is our Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can belong to you. And we pray and ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.